the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. And as you can tell, the voice is different because Pastor Ron, who normally hosts this radio show, is not going to be here for the week. So I have the privilege, the great privilege, of filling in for my pastor to answer your Bible questions. And so our show will continue as it normally does. The reason why we're here is to take your questions, questions about the Bible, what the Bible means and how to apply it to your life. We want to help you not just to uh, apply the Bible, but to put it into practice so that you can fall deeper in love with Jesus. That really is our goal. And whatever we can do to help you do that, that's why we're here. So in order to do that, you'll need the numbers to call into the show. I'll give you the question. I'll give you the, the numbers and then We'll get right into our Monday edition. The number to the show is 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. We've got a toll-free number as well. That's 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email address to submit your questions is questions at calvarysa.com questions, plural, at calvarysa.com. You can also use our our church mobile app to submit your questions if that's easier for you. Uh, it's Monday, so the Monday edition here uh, gives me an opportunity to do two things, remind you of what's going on tonight here at Calvary Chapel, so I'll do that first. Tonight we have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies here, so if that's something that you're interested in or something that you normally attend. It's on tonight, 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel, in person, our men's and women's Bible studies and youth studies. Uh, We meet together for worship, and then we break out into our smaller groups for Bible studies. Now, tonight is different because for the women's study, we actually have uh, the pastor's wives doing their, their review and some of the things that they're going to share from their hearts they just returned from their, their pastor's wives' uh, retreat. The Lord has spoken to their hearts about certain things, and so they're going to share that with the other women to encourage you. And so if that's something you're interested in, you're welcome to join us. And I teach the Monday night men's Bible study. We are currently in the book of Romans. We just started. We're still in chapter one, so it's a great time to join. Youth studies are led by Pastor Matthew and Pastor Chris. So it's a a chance for the whole family to come together and study the Word of God. Yesterday, on Sunday, so I hope wherever you're at, you had a great time at church. I pray that the Lord spoke to your heart and that people got saved. That's the reason why we go to church. And yesterday, because Pastor Ron is not here, I was able to teach and I did a little bit 
uh, something a little different instead of our first Corinthian study, which Pastor Ron is currently in. We took a break from the Old uh, New Testament and went over into the Old Testament, and I taught from Micah chapter 6, something that the Lord, I think, really used and based on some of the conversations I had afterwards. Uh, it sounded like the Lord was really working in a lot of people's hearts, and based on the response, that confirmed it. So I love when that happens. I pray that the same exact same same exact thing happened at your church. All right. Well, this is a Bible question show. I gave you the numbers, and we have some questions already submitted into our inbox. I'll jump right into it. The first one is from Anthony. Anthony says, in Ezekiel chapter three verse eighteen. Can that verse be applied to Christians today and the importance in sharing our faith? Well, let me go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. It says, When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. Okay, Anthony, I got, so this is very important. We've got to understand the context here. This, in Ezekiel, the context here is God speaking through the prophet about being a watchman, God's watchman. Now, watchman the, the the phrase or the term is not something unfamiliar with the prophets, particularly with Isaiah, with Jeremiah, even Hosea, and here in Ezekiel. It's it, it describes something that they would be familiar with, Israel would be familiar with. And so watchmen were men who were assigned to watch exactly that. They would stand on towers at the city walls or at the city gates, and because they were perched up, high enough to see over the horizon, they would keep an eye out through the night for enemies. And that's the context here. Now, Ezekiel, here, God is speaking through him, and, and God is reference, referencing his watchmen. So if you take the concept of the watchmen that are looking out for enemies here, God is talking about his own watchmen that are carrying out his message. Now, what was his message? His message was to warn people, not of the coming enemies, there would, that would be part of it, but he's warning people of the coming judgment, the coming judgment. Israel, you know, was hard-headed, hard-hearted, and they, prophet after prophet, would disregard God's warning. And so God would use his men and call them watchmen and give them the assignment to give the warning to his people that judgment is coming. Now, specific, that's the context, specific to this verse. This verse says, when you say to a wicked man, you will surely die and you do not warn him, then that person's blood will be on you. Well, now that you understand the context, and you you have to be careful when you when you put it into a New Testament application, you question specifically was how this applies for Christians today and the importance of sharing our faith. Let me be clear. Our job as born-again Christians is to be a witness. Like these watchmen, the words that come out of our mouth should lead people to Jesus, but their blood is not on our heads. Every single person is responsible for their own decision. And when we as Christians share the gospel message that offers salvation, forgiveness for our, their sin to a lost and dying world, it's up to them to accept the message or not. Our job is to simply proclaim it, to proclaim it like God's watchmen standing up on the towers, looking out for the enemy. If the watchman would see the enemy coming and not say anything, they would be guilty. Well, if you take that into a New Testament application, we look at people and 
we understand or, or look into their lives, depending on how well you know them. And if you know their lives are miserable, how could you not share hope with them? And I think every single one of us in the listening audience here can think of at least one person that we know that is not saved. They're not born again. And their lives, maybe some of them are miserable. And we would think, by looking at their lives, how could you not want my Jesus? Because it's up to them. They have to decide if they're willing to surrender their life to Jesus or not. Our job is to simply give them that opportunity. Now, if they choose to reject the message of Jesus Christ, their blood is not on our heads. But our job is to proclaim the message. I think we have a couple of questions or another one just like this. But the context, Anthony, of your question in Ezekiel chapter 3 is a good one. It is about God's watchmen, how that applies to us today as Christians sharing our faith. We have to have that same sense of urgency because judgment is coming. Judgment is definitely coming. Thank you, Anthony, for your question. All right, let's move on to our next one. We have an anonymous question. This anonymous question says, I'm a Christian and I serve at my church. I saw something posted on SM. I'm guessing this means social media by another person who serves at my church. I thought it was inappropriate, but I don't want to get involved in something that isn't my business. What should I do? Okay, Anonymous, so this is an important question. Two things that I want to address here. Number one, social media is one of those things where it, there's so much junk that's out there. And, and because of the nature of social media, you're just going to see a lot of things about people's lives that you don't need to know. If you're a Christian and you're on social media, then... When you look at something or you see something that you know isn't right, it is your responsibility to say something. Not because you're the social media police, not because you are the enforcer and that you are inspecting people's lives, but because you care for them, but because you love them. And I think this is one of the things that we lose in our modern society because so many of us are used to just sort of scrolling through people's lives, we can see something and just skip it. We can see something that, that, that if we saw in real life would bother us, but just pass right by and skip it. Now understand that that's sort of the nature of social media. You kind of pick and choose what you want to get involved in. But if you are a Christian and you serve at your church, anonymous, and you see something uh, posted by a friend or, or somebody that, that you serve with, it is your responsibility to say something to them because you love them. And you said in your question here, and I don't, I don't want to get involved in something that isn't my business, but it is your business because you love them. And especially if they're at your church, especially because you represent the same Lord, you, you represent the same church, and if they're somebody that's involved in ministry, they, at least to some degree, represent the leadership of the church. Now, where this, again, you don't provide any details, but where this can cross the line is if you take it too far, where you are you can get involved in somebody's business that isn't your business. And of course, this is a case-by-case a case thing, but if you, in your spirit, see something that bothers you, in love, you should say something. If you end up uh, assuming something that isn't true, well, then you're correctable. And that happens on social media. Sometimes in, in texting and then communicating electronically with people, there's oftentimes things can be misconstrued. 
And so if that's the case, you'll find out and you're wrong and then there's nothing to do. But if there's even the slightest possibility that somebody could be in danger, somebody isn't right, uh, somebody has some difficult things going on in their life, sometimes people put obscure things out there in social media as a cry for help. And if it is, and you ask them about it, maybe you'll have the opportunity to minister to them, to encourage them. Worst case scenario, you know, they'll tell you it's none of your business and, well, then that's it. At least your motive in talking about it was in love and a concern for them. And I think that's just something where we got to be willing to risk. Now, Anonymous, if this is somebody you know closely, if you've got equity with them, then definitely you need to talk to them. If it's somebody that you know, or you don't know that well, then it, talk to your leadership. Talk to a pastor, one of the pastors at your church. Maybe they know them. Not, and I'm not talking about gossiping. I'm talking about you have a genuine concern for somebody. It's your responsibility to say something. Because, you know, Pastor Ron doesn't, he's one of those guys that doesn't go on the social media, so he wouldn't know. But sometimes he hears about things that people will mention to him. And he, there's no way he would have known about anything unless somebody would have told him. Well, maybe your church is the same way. So don't assume that they'll know. Talk to one of your pastors. Like I said, maybe it isn't what you think. The last thing I'll say about this, Anonymous, is this. Uh, I did a funeral today. And it was not your normal funeral, but it was still a funeral where I was speaking to people whose hearts were grieving. Hearts, their hearts were broken because they missed a friend, a loved one. And what I shared with the people there at the funeral was a passage out of Luke chapter 16 where Jesus is telling a story, not a parable, but he's telling the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And here's the, the point. Luke 16, that story tells me that when we talk to people, we only should talk about what matters. And if there is something that's going on with somebody, you've got to talk to them about something that matters. In that story where the, the rich man wanted to go back and talk to his brothers, he wanted to tell them, Jesus is real. He wanted to tell them to believe in Jesus because I'm in this place of torment. I don't want you to come here. He wanted to go back and talk to them about something that matters. Now, you know the story. That didn't happen. He couldn't go back. They wouldn't believe a dead man even if he came back. But Anonymous, as it applies to your question here, what should I do? Because you love them, you should say something. I hope that helps. Let me give you the phone numbers to call in if you have a question to 10-340-9585 Oops. The toll-free number here is 877 877-630-5757 877-630-5757 we got questions at calvarysa.com. That is the email address to submit your questions. And you also have the church app if you want to submit questions that way. Okay, our next question comes from Daniel. Daniel, this one is submitted through our email inbox. He says, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 9. I heard this verse in a movie and I keep thinking about it. What does this verse mean exactly? All right, Daniel, well, let me look at the verse. It says this, Daniel, oh, I'm sorry, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 9, they all come bent on violence, their hordes advance like a desert wind, 
and gather prisoners like sand. Okay, Daniel, so Habakkuk's prophecy is about the Babylonian invasion of Judah. And so at the time that Habakkuk wrote his prophecy, it was right in between uh, the right after the invasion of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians and right before the Babylonian invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so in that time, Habakkuk was used by God to warn the people of Judah about the coming judgment, specifically the coming judgment uh, through the Babylonian armies. And this description in chapter 1, I think a couple of verses earlier, makes it clear this is about Babylon. But it describes them here in chapter uh, 1, verse 9, as sort of like a, a desert wind or, or, or a whirlwind that is just running through the desert. And I could imagine just looking at the verse in the context of this verse, how this could be used cinematically in a movie. I'm thinking of armies that are coming across uh, the desert with such fierceness and force that, that the, the dust is, is in the air and it looks like from a distance there is a big cloud encroaching. But this in its context, Daniel, is describing the Babylonian invasion that's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen in Judah. And so it's a warning from the prophet Habakkuk. Now, you say you've heard this in a movie. I, I don't know what movie you're talking about, but, you know, there's something interesting here. Biblical references is something that we see pretty often in movies. And in the cinematic world, you know, there's so much creativity People love using references to the Bible sort of to describe or augment uh, their, their, their movie, but a lot of times they don't even know what it means. <laughs> they have no idea what they're writing about, but they just use something that, at least in this case, uh, it it fits probably what they're doing. Now, there are Bible movies. There are a lot of them that, that would use verses in its proper context. But one thing is for sure. When Whenever you see media, movies, and songs make biblical references, it means they're accountable. It means they're accountable. Even if they take a verse out of context, when they quote something from the book of Revelation, when they describe some of the, the judgments that come through the bowls and through the seals, it means that they at least don't even, they may not know all the details of what's coming, but they're accountable. So, Daniel, I hope that helps. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got George calling from Whittier. George, you're on the air. Yes, hello, Pastor Ken. I was hoping you were on. I, I wasn't really listening online, but I, I just called uh, from California here. But this, this is a, a pretty simple question. Um, it's a yes-no question. I think I know the answer. It's probably yes. But I, and it, you know, like I said, it's a simple question, but is it? Is it possible for one or, or two or more people to um, read a passage of Scripture and and kind of get convicted or get their message from God in different ways? In other words, the same the same passage, but it might it might be uh, meaningful to different people in a different way. That's that's kind of what I'm asking. I know it's kind of a simple question, but that's that's basically it. Absolutely. George, I actually love your question. It is a simple one, but the, 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 the significance or the application is important. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It, it, when, because the Word of God it, described in the book of Hebrews is living and active, it cuts into the, 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 the sinews, into the, the muscles. That means it gets deep inside into our hearts, and, and it will pierce our hearts 
in similar ways and in different ways because the Spirit speaks to us individually. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the meaning of the passage changes, but the application is often very specific to whatever we're dealing with at that point in time in our lives. And that's one of the, the beautiful things about the Word of God, George. Uh, you're absolutely right. It, it, it can speak to us differently. And, and, and oftentimes, the same passage will speak to the same person in a different way at a different time, depending on what they're going through. I know that's happened to me personally. There'll be things that I've read in the scriptures that I know I've read before many times. And then, you know, a year or two years later, I'll read that same passage and it's it, it, God shows me something different there. And it doesn't change the original meaning of it. It doesn't change the context. But because I'm going through something different at the time, the application is different. Does that make sense, George? Yes, very much. I'm very glad to hear that. And, uh, and I, it just occurred to me the other day, that's why they say the living Word of God. So that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. I'm, 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 I, can, I can really relate and, and be happy that what I did get from it is good. <laughs> Great, George. I'm glad that it helped. But you can hear the mess. Uh, you can hear the music. That means that we are closing up the first half of our Monday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Monday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I am filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron. So if you're just tuning in, you normally listen to the second half of the radio show. Uh, you'll notice that it is not Pastor Ron's voice because I'm filling in for him this week. But that doesn't change the show. What we normally do, we will continue to do. That means I'm here to take your questions, your questions about the Bible, questions about how to apply it to your life, and, and with the ultimate goal of helping you fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we're here. And so with that, I need to give you the phone numbers if you want to dial in. The number here is 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number, if you're out of the area, is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way is questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, like I said at the opening, it's the Monday edition. That means we've got our Bible studies tonight. I'll remind you again at the end of our study, at the end of our time here, but we'll go ahead and jump on to the next questions while I wait for your phone calls. Our next question comes from Janie. How do I study the Bible as a new Christian? And what are some references I can go to to better understand what God is telling me through the Bible? Janie, I love your question. First of all, congratulations on joining God's family as a new Christian. That means you have made the best decision of your life, and that is something to celebrate. So good job, Janie. Now, on to your question. How do I study the Bible as a new question, as a new Christian? You just read it and continue to read it. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Now, I don't mean rote memorization. That will be part of it. But I mean, just read it. And just sort of like George's question right before the end of the break. What he asked about is how God's word is, can speak to you at different times in different ways. And that's because the word of God is living and active. And, and Janie, your job as a new Christian is to get to know your Bible. Get to know your Bible because this is what will happen. The more you get to know your Bible, the more you get to know Jesus. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more in love you'll fall with him. 
And my wife says, we promise. And that's sort of the outro of our radio show. Get to know your Bible, because when you do that, you'll get to know who Jesus is. And when you get to know who Jesus is, you'll fall deeper and deeper in love with him. And Janie, it will just thrill your heart. One of the things I tell Christians, new Christians, is, you know, there is no specific place that you need to start when you read your Bible. Some people want to start in Genesis, and because we're used to reading a book from beginning to end, um, you can do that. I, I don't recommend it often, but you can, because it, it's it's pretty difficult reading. But when you understand the bigger message of the Bible is about Jesus, then you want to get to know who Jesus is. That, With that, I point people usually to the Gospel of John, specifically the first chapter, the first 18 verses, not just those, but starting there gives the reader insight into who Jesus is, at least his character and his nature, specifically in the first 18 verses of John's gospel. It speaks to his deity. And this is important because you just gave your life to Jesus, the one who died for your sin. Well, you need to know how his work on the cross saves you. What makes him different than, than any other person who lived? Because Jesus is the Son of God, but God the Son. And, and so what does that mean? Well, John, the apostle, does a wonderful job of describing the deity of Jesus Christ and and that in the first chapter, the first 18 verses. So that's one place. Read the Gospel of John. Read it over and over and over. Read it. You can read it at a normal pace and then go back through it at a slower pace. And you'll see details there in the Gospel about Jesus that you didn't see in the previous times you read it. And that's just the beautiful part of reading God's Word. Here's another thing, too, that I often recommend to people who are serious about studying the Word of God. Uh, you know, Commentaries are great, but I, I tell people, don't go to them. I get to know your Bible first, and then you can reference them once in a while, uh, you know, just to, to confirm some things. But before you even go to commentaries, you know what I like to do, Janie? I like to look at maps. Now, this may be just me, but there are uh, usually Bibles have maps sections, and that suffices. I I have a book. I think it's called Nelson's Maps that I use for myself, and I love looking at maps specific to passages, and that helps me sort of set the context because context is always the key when it comes to interpreting the Word of God. The context means that when, you, when you're looking at the Bible, you're looking at the, the then and there. This is called, the, the technical term is the exegesis, the then and there, meaning who wrote it and who were they writing it to? Who was the audience? Who, who was the audience? For example, Paul writing in his letter to the Ephesians, he's writing, the apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Ephesus. So the context there is important. Now, why I mention the book of maps, or <laughs> the book of maps, maps, is because for me, maps helps establish the context. And it gives you insight into the scriptures. I'll just give you one example. We just finished studying through the book of Acts. And um, through the book of Acts, there's a lot of narrative passages that describe traveling from city to city. And when we read through those passages, it's easy to just sort of glance from verse to verse and not understand what happened in between. In the 27th chapter in Acts, you know, Paul writes, or Paul is enduring through shipwrecks or shipwreck on his way to Rome. 
This is the last leg of his journey to Rome. He's almost there. But in that one section, he's traveling by ship from the island of Crete to Malta. And the island of Malta is just south of Sicily, on the very southern tip of of Italy. Now, how do I know that? I know that because I look at maps. And I know that from Crete sailing against the seas, the wind of the seas, towards the island of Malta is about 590 miles. Now, to me, that's significant because when I look at the passage there, in those 590-some-odd miles, it, it takes weeks for them to travel that. A lot goes on. And when I read about the difficulties that the men aboard the ship, including the Apostle Paul, had to endure, it sort of sets the background and helps me to teach that passage and helps me to understand that passage in greater detail. So maps is an option for you to look at, Janie. But read the Bible. Read it over, read it over and over and over. And if you do, you'll get to know who Jesus is and you'll fall in love with him. And I hope that helps, Janie. Let's go to our phone lines. We have Bart on line one. You're on the air. How can I help you, Bart? Hey, Pastor Ken. Awesome to hear you on the radio. I know you said Bart like, uh-oh, here's trouble coming in. So, um, you know, um, I, was, I don't want to bring in too much of a different direction, but, um, yeah, I, I study a lot of eschatology and, um, you know, watching the, the end times um, approach, and, man, it's getting close. But there's one question. I, I spent a lot of time researching, and, and I'm not sure if the, the devil took it out of my mind or something, but during the tribulation, okay, um, we have the rapture of the church, and then about halfway through the tribulation, all the you'll have the, uh, to take the mark of the beast or not. And, and normally, I mean, I think basically you're going to have to die. You're going to have to be a martyr, martyr for that. And then at the end of the tribulation, everybody who accepted the mark and worshiped the beast, they will be they will be judged by God. And the ones that the ones that didn't take the mark, well, they're the um, tribulation saints up in up in heaven underneath the altar. And my question was, and I think I researched something that who exactly goes into the millennium? Some reason I'm thinking that maybe there were some people in caves that didn't have to take the mark and they made it. But I was just wondering if you could point a verse out and talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yes. Thanks, Bart. Thanks for your call. Yes, you're absolutely right. So uh, when it comes to the millennium, we know that the literal thousand-year reign of Christ is where the, we will reign with him. Those of us who are born-again Christians will reign with Jesus. And it's it's one of those things where uh, we hear descriptions of it from the from the Old Testament pointing forward to a time when Israel would be restored once again. Uh, but these people who are in the millennium will be those that survive. Uh, like you said, some may be hidden in caves, some from the, 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 the solitude of the, of the city of Petra that make it through the, the, the tribulation. But it will be a time when Israel has a sort of a brand new start. And those in that millennial reign, what we do know is that Jesus will reign supreme, and that's the important thing. How it will be on heaven and how it will be on earth, it will be completely new and completely different. Or the, the, the lion and the lamb will lie together, and it will be a, a world where peace is once again restored. Um, what that specifically looks like, we don't have all of the details, but we do know, in large part, it will be those that survive or get through the tribulation, and it'll have an opportunity. It'll provide an opportunity for the world uh, to sort of repopulate. There will be generation after generation of people who will hear stories of what the Lord has done, and we do know at the end there will be a time when the the lake of fire will open up, and then that's when. People will be judged and stand before the great white throne. And that's the time when 
at the end of the millennium, people will, uh, again, because their hearts have grown far from the Lord, will rebel against God. And then those who stand before the great white throne of the judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. That's when hell is actually opened up in the 19th chapter, 20th chapter of Revelation. But yes, so in the time of the millennium, millennium is when uh, peace and order will be restored, at, at least for a time. We see a better picture of this at the end of Revelation. When I saw the throne, I think this is in chapter 20. I saw the thrones and those seated on them given authority to judge and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded and their testimony of Jesus and the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image had not received the mark on their foreheads and they came to life and they reigned with Christ. And that's the time that we're looking forward to, Bart. But those of us who are born again today, this is the interesting thing. We get to rule and reign with Jesus in that time. And that always fascinates me because we don't have a lot of detail about that, what that's exactly going to look like, uh, what we know will be in our glorified bodies, that's for sure. We won't have uh, like a station that we'll stay at, we'll, in some way that, that the Bible really doesn't describe, we'll be able to go with Jesus and, and, and rule and reign with him as he goes between heaven and earth. That always fascinates me, but I, the Bible doesn't give us any specific detail other than what I just read from Revelation chapter 20. So I hope that helps, Bart. Thanks for your call. Thanks for your call. Okay, let's go back to our email, emails that were, uh, questions that were submitted via email. Here's an anonymous one. This one says, hey, Pastor Ken, I'm a born-again Christian, but... I'm embarrassed to say that I struggle in sharing my faith. How can I be more bold in sharing my faith? You know, I love this question and the timing of it, because right after Bart's question about eschatology, the, the whole purpose of our eschatological studies or our studies of the end times really is this, Anonymous. It's to focus on sharing the Word of God today. Why? Is there such an urgency? Or why should there be such an urgency? Well, because we know, excuse me, we know that judgment is coming. And, and Peter tells us, well, because we know that judgment is coming, because we know the times of judgment that Revelation describes is coming, how then shall we live? Or what kind of life shall we live now? Well, your question here sort of answers that. When you say, I'm, embar I'm embarrassed about struggling or I struggle with sharing my faith, it's because our perspective is wrong. Your perspective is wrong, Anonymous. I'd mentioned earlier that I did a funeral today. And, and at that funeral, we're talking about mortality. And every time we're, I'm doing funerals, we're, we're dealing with hearts that are broken, that are contemplating, you know, what's really important in life. All the things that we stress out about really aren't that important when you realize your life isn't as long as you think it is. And that changes the way you view sharing your faith. Hospital visits and when you're sitting with somebody who's a loved one and and they're dying. I promise you, in those moments, nothing matters more than them knowing Jesus. And so when you talk about struggling with sharing your faith, you've got to take that same sense of urgency that you picture sort of sharing with people you love at, at their bedside or at the hospital and take that same sense of urgency into every conversation you have. Not just with loved ones, but with everyone. When you meet people in the grocery store, when you're talking to people wherever you're at, it's too easy to get, you know, to start superficial conversation about politics or sports. But talk about what really matters. And I promise you, when you look at them as, as somebody who 
is on the brink of life and death, though they're healthy and standing right in front of you, you think of them as somebody in the hospital bed. That sense of urgency will be there. And you won't have to worry about, you know, being embarrassed or what if, you know, they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. Because that's not that important. When you use that same sense of urgency, Anonymous, you know what will happen is you will argue with people less and you will share your faith even more. I, I tell people, you know, when, when you're talking to somebody and you're sharing Jesus with them, it's not your job to convince them. Your job is just to relay the message to them. And you know what I find out? Anonymous, I find out that more often than not, Jesus has already been working on their hearts. There's something that they're going through in their life that, that they'll say, you know, that's exactly what I needed to know. Or that's exactly what I needed to hear. Usually when you're talking to people, even strangers, there's so much going on in their life that you don't know what the Lord is doing to prepare them for that very moment when they go to meet you. And I always think that, that they're ready to hear about Jesus. They're, they're, they're looking for hope. And even if they're not, and even if they, they say that they're not interested, well, the Holy Spirit has deposited there a seed, planted a seed in their hearts so that the next person that comes along or the next conversation I have with them Maybe that seed will be watered. So the responsibility doesn't lie on you. It's not your job to, to, to convince them. Anonymous, just share. And, you know, in one of our favorite verses here at Calvary Chapel is the sixth verse of Philemon. When we talk about, uh, Paul the Apostle talks about being active in sharing your faith. Why? So that you will know every good thing that comes from Jesus. Well, it benefits you to actually share your faith, to be active in talking to people because you grow in your own faith by sharing Jesus, regardless of what they respond, of how they respond to the message. Your faith is getting stronger every time you share. And I love that. That's a good thing. Plus, you give people the opportunity to have their sins forgiven. And so, Anonymous, I hope that helps. Our next question. We've got about five minutes left in the show. If, if you decide to call the show, you, we may have time if you do it soon. So that number really quickly is 210 340 9585, but you've got to do it soon. Okay, Franklin. Franklin asks, what happens when a baby dies or a child that didn't understand anything about God dies? Is that child in heaven or hell because they didn't accept Jesus? Franklin, this is a good question. This is one we get actually get pretty often. And this is an important answer because uh, the way God deals with each one of us is always on an individual basis. And so the age of somebody is really not as important as uh, what they're able to understand. And so I would point you to Second Samuel as an example. Uh, this is one of those passages that gives comfort to people who've lost babies because David, King David, is called out by the prophet Nathan. Remember, uh, because David had a child that was dying. And in his sin with Bathsheba, this baby that was born was dying. And when the baby eventually died, David said, well, he's not going to come back to me, but I will go to him. What does that mean? That means because that baby was below the age of accountability. And again, that's not a fixed number that the Bible describes, but it's the, the, the age at which a person is able to understand that they're a sinner and that they need to be forgiven of their sin, whatever that age is, that God will hold the person accountable to what they know. 
And for babies, obviously, they don't know yet. So when a baby dies, they go immediately into the presence of God. And that's important to understand because that will provide comfort for those that struggle with this question, especially moms who've lost babies. I know how the enemy works, and he always attacks in this way. They can know with comfort, even while their hearts are hurting, that their baby is immediately in the presence of Jesus. It also gives me an opportunity to speak about those who are not babies but older. Like I said, there is an age of accountability, and and, and what that age is depends because some people have the mental capacity of a very, very young child, but they may be older. Well, just because they're, you know, 10 or 15 years old or just because they're 20 years old, it doesn't mean that immediately that they're at the age of accountability because everybody is different. Some people have, again, this is a very small minority, but God deals with people on an individual basis. And if they have the mental capacity to understand that they're a sinner that needs to be saved, God will hold them accountable. And I think this is important because it ties to our previous question about sharing our faith with people. We don't know what people are going through. We don't know the mental capacity that they have and, 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 and if somebody doesn't have the mental capacity to understand the deeper things of God, God can still speak to their hearts. So be faithful to share with people who Jesus is, what he's done in your life, the truth of God's word, that he wants to save them from their sin. So I hope that helps Franklin. Tonight, we have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. You're welcome to join us. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. I'll be filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arba, this week on the radio show. We'll see you again tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arba. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.